This is the AuthorBiz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, episode number 27. Welcome to the AuthorBiz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings and welcome to The Author Biz, where we focus on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. What would you ask an author who's gone from zero books to over 35 in 42 short months? An author who's been featured on page one of the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and USA Today, and has gone from being a complete unknown to one of the prime examples of big success in independent publishing. Well, that's the conundrum I faced in preparing to interview Russell Blake. I will admit to having one slight advantage in prepping for this interview. I've been reading his books for 36 of the 42 months he's been publishing them, so I'm pretty familiar with his work. Russell writes some great thrillers, but the main reason we're speaking with him today is the way he looks at his writing. From the start, he looked at his author business as two separate businesses, each requiring vastly different skills. Yeah, I've always looked at it as two separate businesses. There's content creation, which is writing. And then there is the the book-selling business, which is the marketing, promotion, packaging, and distribution, and hopefully sale of books. And they're completely different businesses. If you're a longtime listener to this show, you know I always pluck a quote out, like the one you just heard, and use it in the intro. Russell offered so many great quotes in this interview that I had a hard time picking just one. And trust me, the one you heard was just one of the best. In this interview, we discuss his initial business plan, his shotgun approach to publishing, the need to separate your business self from your creative self, the value of experimentation, his thoughts on marketing, branding, developing your value proposition as an author, and plenty more. This is an information-packed show that I hope you'll enjoy. Did you know there are three ways to subscribe to The Author Biz? The easiest is to head on over to The Author Biz website at theauthorbiz.com and click the big green subscribe button in the upper right-hand corner of the site. But you can also subscribe directly through either iTunes or Stitcher. To get each episode delivered automatically through iTunes, just go to theauthorbiz.com slash iTunes. That'll take you directly to our show page on iTunes. You can do the same with Stitcher by going to theauthorbiz.com slash Stitcher. If you do subscribe that way, please consider giving us a nice review or star rating. They're incredibly important when it comes to discoverability in much the same way they are for your books at Amazon and other digital retailers. Now let's get on with the interview. My guest today is Russell Blake. He's a USA Today bestselling author who's written somewhere north of 35 books. He's made the cover of the Wall Street Journal for his prodigious writing habits, and he writes an informative and entertaining blog that deals with the nuts and bolts issues of writing and publishing. Oh, and he sold nearly a million books in the three and a half years since his publishing journey began. Russell, welcome to the Author Biz. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So about a million books in three and a half years. Um, That's great if it's only one book, but you wrote 35. Well, you know, there's easy ways to do it, and there's hard ways to do it. <laughs> but actually, that that was my business philosophy. It was kind of like, I don't really care how many books I need to write. I just had a number, you know, in mind that I had hoped to see every year in, in net revenues from from selling books. And I just re- resigned myself to write as many as it takes. For people who don't follow your blog, you you write, you're pretty open about income and things like that. And and I remember reading a post about your first year. And I'm going to get the numbers wrong, so correct me. You may have forgotten them by now. But it it was basically you wrote a first book and then another book. And, like, the first royalty may have been $18 and then $32. And then all of a sudden it, it really started snowballing. Do I have that about right? Yeah, 
it actually, I, I remember the, the first one was sub $20 um, the, the first month. And then by the seventh month, which no, sixth or seventh month was December of 2011, um, it, it jumped to, oh, I, I don't even remember. I think it was like 1450 bucks, And that's with a dozen books out. So it wasn't exactly it wasn't exactly you know setting the world on fire. And then in January, um, you know the the post Christmas sales um, thing really hit and took off in conjunction with Amazon Select. And I want to say I sold fifteen thousand books in January. And that's when the money started to roll in. <laughs> oh yeah. Now the first book of yours that I read, I had no idea who you were. I just. I, I like financial thrillers, and oh, it was... So you're the one. <laughs> I am the one, I think, because there are not very many of them. But it was zero sum. And oh, yeah, sure. By that time, it was a trilogy. I think you'd probably written three and jammed them together in, into one, and I found that to be just absolutely fabulous, and then I started paying attention and, and buying your other books and reading your blog, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then Jet came along, which... Man, I, it, it wasn't your first series, but is, is it? Would it be a true statement to say that's when things really started to take off? Was with Jet? Well, yeah, I would. I would say that you know the chronology is beginning. I guess 2012. I, I, I came out with the Assassin series and made the first book free at the in December of 2011. And I think what happened is a lot of people downloaded the free. Um, you know the, the the prequel Night of the Assassin, and then they started buying um, books in January. They they bought the sequel, and that you know I wrote two more in quick succession in that series, and in conjunction again with Amazon Select. Um, the first half of 2012 was revelationary for me. So then I got the bright idea: Hey, you know, series seem to work. <laughs> So I, I, I actually wrote furiously all summer, and um, I released Jet. I think it was in October, but I released – I held three or four books back. I had four books worth of material, novels, and um, I released the first three, you know, I think it was October, November, December, and then made the first book in the series free in December to capture the Christmas market and released Jet 4 contemporaneously. So that worked. Very, very well. And coincidentally, you, within the last couple of weeks, released Jet 8, right? Yeah, correct. Jet 8. Um, the, Jet, the Jet series has been um, very good to me, and the character seems to really have some legs. So readers aren't tired of it yet, which is, I'm, I'm, for which I'm grateful. And, you know, for anybody who hasn't read it, it's one of these things that if you read the first book and you like it, you're going to want to do what I did. And, and what I did was basically start reading the first one when the first four were already out. So I was able to go boom, boom, boom. And I think I had to wait a little bit maybe for the fourth one. Um, but it's the kind of thing that you just kind of want to binge read. Yeah, it's 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 the equivalent of caramel covered popcorn. I think um, <laughs> it's not. You know, these are not highfalutin books. It's it's very. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm in the entertainment business. I'm not in the in the literary fiction business. So, so you know, I, I think the Jet books are a perfect sort of synthesis of of. You know, pop culture and the kind of films I like to read or, or the films I like to watch and the kinds of books I like to read. So I tried to, you know, I, my idea when I came up with the book was very simple. It was kind of like, you know, I really love Tarantino films, how they're kind of over the top, and but they move really fast and they, they surprise you, etc. So I want to write a series that's the equivalent of a, a literary take on, you know, <laughs> Tarantino films. When you started the series, did you have any idea that it would go this long? No, I, I thought it would go five books, maybe six. It seemed like there was a little lull there. You hit maybe it was around five or six, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, people want more of this. 
Yeah. Well, I, uh, what I what happened was I got busy with other stuff. <laughs> so you know, I I, I I had no idea that that was going to be the uh, the money shot, so to speak. And now I'm pretty clear on it. Um, I wrote Jet Ops file, and and that's the uh, the prequel to the the, the series. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be writing a couple more Jet Ops files books this year. So it'll be a series within a series. Now, one of the th- and I, I do want to get back to the beginning and, and work through the genesis of all this. But one of the things that I enjoy in reading your blog is that annual post where you say, oh, my God, I wrote this many books last year, and I'm not doing it again next year. (laughs) And then the next year, you say, well, I said I wasn't going to do it again, but I did, but I'm definitely not going to do it again next year. Definitely not. (laughs) You haven't slowed down at all, have you? No, no, I haven't. As a matter of fact, I, I'm looking at my commitments for uh, 2015, and I managed to – I'm not even going to say how many novels um, I'm committed to, but it, it's a few. It's the, the, probably the usual number. Mm, yeah, maybe actually Maybe more, more. okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I went into your Amazon page today and looked – of course, the first thing I look for – is the pleasant surprise of seeing the next black book out, Artemis Black. Um, but I did not see that. No, so. I, I've, I've had to sort of prioritize what, what I write, which is kind of a, a big pain in the ass because I really want to write everything uh-huh. at once. I mean, obviously. I, I want, you know, I've had a, I'm sitting here staring at a piece of paper that is the outline for a sequel to Fatal Exchange. Okay. I've had that on my desk now for two years. So, so no, I mean, I, I, you know, I have these ideas and, you know, it always starts with the same bright idea. It's like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if X? And then, you know, the problem is I have enough of these ideas and uh, clearly I have um, deficient um, impulse control. So uh, I, I launch into these things and then pretty soon yeah, I just don't have any more time. And, and you seem to have a love of experimentation because you'll try anything. It seems to be. It seems from the outside looking in that you're willing to try anything. Yeah, because you don't know what's going to stick. I mean, really, if you if you look at if the way traditional publishers, um, yeah, they put out what three hundred thousand titles a year, and they just shotgun them. They have right. no idea what's going to hit. Well, they have they have some idea what they're going to put a big budget behind. Well, be sure, and and would that I could, but no, that unfortunately I'm still in the business of, of shotgunning. So, you know, get the twelve gauge out. Let's go back to, speaking of stories, let's go back to the sort of the Russell Blake origin story. There, there may be, I'll quote you, 99% of the people who would like to read your books don't have any idea who you are. So I'm going to assume there are some people listening to this podcast who don't know who you are. So uh, give us a little bit of backstory on, on Russell Blake. You, you worked, you made some money, you retired, you went to Mexico, you... Did a lot of other things, and then you decided you wanted to write. Yeah, that that pretty much covers it. You, <laughs> you hit all the high notes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did all of the above. I started a, a, a design and build company down here in Mexico. I've lived here for about a dozen years, and um, I was designing homes and building, you know, big houses, six, seven, eight thousand square feet on the beach. And um, you know, I, I, I sort of proved the point. I did what I wanted in that. And um, I saw the whole Kindle revolution taking off around 2009, 2010. And, you know, I'm a slow learner, so it took me a while to be convinced that the model would work. Then once that I saw that it it, it did, and I saw guys like John Locke and Amanda Hawking and all all the usual names killing it on the – on the independent side, I, I decided I'd been writing for about hmm, 10, 12 years for my own amusement. And a friend of mine, you know, convinced me that I should, you know, throw a couple books out and see, see what happened. And the rest is history. That was June, 2011. Which was about 42 months ago, right? Yeah. 42 months ago. And I, I'm, I'm, I want to say I'm on book. 36 or 37 now. You know, I, I was embarrassed to even try and come up with a number. I just quoted the most recent thing that I could steal from one of your sites. I, I don't even know. I really, honestly, I have 
haven't I stopped counting a while ago. I, I'm not really sure how many I've done. Uh, I, I think, think your website says 28, and I knew that wasn't right. And oh. Amazon says 35, <laughs> so and that's probably not not right either. So I just no, guess probably that. more like I don't think I counted the uh, the co-author with Clive. I don't think um, I'm finishing up my second co-authored novel with Clive Kessler right now. So I don't think I counted those. So I think it's more like 37. Well, I heard a great interview with you and Simon Whistler um, about a year ago, Rocking Self-Publishing. And that's for people who are really interested in your backstory. Um, Simon spent a great deal of time going into it, and it's, it's great for people to listen to. But in that interview, you talked about, from the very beginning, looking at your writing as a business and making an investment in the business as though you were opening a store or a restaurant or you know whatever it was. I don't remember what the analogy was at that time. But you understood that I'm going to spend money for editing, for cover design, for you know my own time in writing these books. And I think the number you used was $1,500. And, and you were several books into this, and you're getting royalty checks like $28. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was not an exciting time for me. It wasn't. It wasn't validation and proof of concept. Let me put it that way. But it's but, hard. It's hardcore business. That you know, I'm I'm starting a business. I'm developing a product. The product is my writing, and I'm going to be selling these products. So I have to make an investment. Yeah, I, I've always looked at it as two separate businesses. There's content creation which is writing. And then there is the, the book-selling business, business, which is the marketing, promotion, packaging, and distribution, and hopefully sale of books. And they're completely different businesses. One, it's, they're as different as you know, writing software versus marketing software. They're completely different businesses, and they require different skill sets. So I'm very careful in my, my blog and, you know, philosophically to look at things, you know, am, am, I, am, I, am I speaking as a content creator here, as an author, or am I thinking as a, a book marketer, a, a bookseller? And I think it's, it's important to keep that distinction because it's useful when you look at the two facets of the business. And you don't want to make, you don't want to make book selling decisions as a content creator. And you don't necessarily want your writing to sound like something that a bookseller would have written. So, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's challenging. It's the ultimate sort of entrepreneurial um, last stand, I guess, or last bastion of entrepreneurialism because it requires two completely and radically different skill sets. And you use the example of software, so I'm going to run with that for a little bit. And uh, sure. I know a lot of people that are in software. I've been in the software business most of my working career, and there is not a single software developer I know who could ever sell anything that they wrote. Yeah, it's the classic engineering thing. You know, the engineers always go, well, gee, I, you know, I, I created the best product in the world. And it's like, well, yeah, but nobody cares. In other words, <laughs> if nobody knows about it and, you know, if, if it may be more efficient, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't satisfy the, the end user's requirements, it doesn't matter if it's more efficient and it's the best, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the old argument about why, you know, Microsoft may not have generated the best graphic, graphical user interface, but hey, guess what? <laughs> Everyone's heard of Microsoft. <laughs> exactly. In what you just called the, you know, essentially the ultimate small entrepreneurial business, the author then needs to be able to put on the business development hat and step aside. It's no longer, it's, it's no longer his baby, her baby, uh, a product that you've even developed, it's just something that you can sell now. And, and yeah, it's just, that's a it's really unique content. skill to be able to do those two things. I, I agree, and I don't think everyone can do it, but I think that it's necessary to develop that if you're going to be successful at this. I mean, for long term. I mean, I keep hammering on that whenever I do an interview or whenever I, I mean, that's very consistent with the logic that's in my blogs. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, content creation should be joyful. You should do, you know, it should be artistic. It should, um, you know, it should focus on craft and telling the best story possible, et cetera, et cetera. But then once you're done writing, you, you know, you got a bunch of, of words there and you, you, you 
they're just words. So now you have to package them, and and you need to communicate to you need you need to do quality control, which is editing. You know, you need to package them properly, which is putting a good cover on them and coming up with a blurb that's a synthesis of the value proposition and and, and put it out there. But the main thing is you then need to figure out how to communicate to the audience that you're trying to reach that you have that you've built the better mousetrap that they're looking for. And the skills I just described have nothing to do with writing a good book. And I think that's where a lot of authors get caught. They don't, they don't want to learn that second part of the skill set because it seems crass and commercial. And it is. It's absolutely all of those things. But my, my counsel is if you can't learn to do that, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then you should really be going the traditional publishing route because that's what they do. They buy content, and then they package it and quality control it and put it out there and communicate to the hopefully buying audience that, that you wrote it. Now, you have a brand now, a pretty well-established brand. People are willing to buy your books and pay more money to get them. A lot of your books aren't available on Kindle Unlimited. Some are, but uh, a yeah, number of them aren't. Yeah, I think I put, I don't know, seven or eight of the 30-something in there. And you have, over the course of the last maybe 24 months, uh, slowly marched the price up of your books to the point that you think is reasonable for people that are interested in buying your books. Uh, A lot of authors are scared to death to try that. They just want to charge as little as possible, whether it be 99 cents or 2.99 to get the 70%. Um, because they want to get that last incremental sale. Um, what's it been like for you to, to, work, to stair-step your pricing up? Well, it's, it's all an experiment, and I think, you know, I think one of the things that, that I focused on was differentiating new releases from, from the backlist. So I, I, I noticed that there wasn't much of a, a difference in sales between $2.99 and $3.99, so to me, $2.99 was a sucker bet. So, and you know, I'm not the first one to notice that. Guys like Conrath figured it out. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's all over the web. So, three ninety nine, four bucks, basically, seems like the 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 fair pricing point for an ebook. But then I noticed, you know, I did some experimenting, and I noticed that on you know maybe not everyone's genre and maybe not everyone's backlist, but on my backlist, I didn't notice any sales difference between four bucks and five bucks. I just didn't. So I saw no reason. I mean, you know, four ninety nine, four ninety seven, whatever um, seems like a fairly reasonable exchange. You know, it's a, a reasonable price to exchange for ten to fifteen hours of entertainment. So yeah, I thought it was both fair and it compensated me fairly for my backlist. And people didn't seem to mind paying five bucks for it. And then new releases, you know, command a premium. They're a buck more. Yeah, you know, it's new. Hey, you know, it's new. And after about a year, I'll, I'll reduce my, my new offering to four ninety nine, And it works. I mean, you know, maybe I'm leaving, you know, I'm missing some, some sales at the margins, but that's okay. How, I mean, much, how much time, you obviously put thought into this, how much time do you spend actually looking at the numbers and, and saying, yeah, this is working? Or do you just say, yeah, I'm going to try this, and if it looks like it's working, I'm going to stay with it? No, I, mean, I, I try to be analytical about it, but it's not, you know, it's not something that I enjoy. So I spend as, as little time as humanly possible analyzing prices. And I'll just make these, these sort of, I, like, I'm done playing with prices. It's like five bucks for backlists. Six bucks for new releases. If I sell more, if I sell less, doesn't really matter to me. It's like that's the pricing because now I can move on and do other things like write. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that you've experimented with through the years that, that I've seen is changing covers. Which, yeah. when it first, when you changed the covers of the Jet series, I was mortified because I, Jet didn't look anything at, in my mind like the the woman that was on the cover of the books. And I'm sure. like, oh, my God, Russell has made a terrible mistake with this. I'm assuming right. that you didn't really make a terrible mistake and that you're selling more 
with the cover change and, and using a human being on the cover as opposed to the, the more generic covers that you had in the past. Well, yeah, and, and it's interesting because a lot of people so were horrified by the, the second generation, the iteration of, of the Jet um, series. And, but I didn't notice any difference in sales. I mean, that, you know, so people were complaining, oh, you know, she doesn't look anything like it. So now I've got a third generation of Jet um, mm-hmm. covers, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. I mean, that was, that was developed by the German publisher of the, the German publisher of the Jet series. They're translating and, and releasing it in Germany, and they've just got an incredible cover. I saw it. I was like, oh, my God, that's the cover I wanted all along. <laughs> so thank you, Germany. <laughs> thank you, Michael. If you're listening to this, you are the man. But you are absolutely willing to, to do those things, to sure, make absolutely. those changes and just say, yeah, what the heck? I like this cover better. Let's stick it on all the all the jet. Books. Absolutely. If you look at, boy, if you look at the Assassin series, I've gone through three or four iterations on, on the uh, Assassin series. If you look at uh, my novel, Upon a Pale Horse, which is my, my first bio thriller, I, I want to say I did one, two, three or four different covers for that and rotated them within the first four to five months to see which one stuck best. Um, so yeah, I, I view it as any other. It's brand marketing. It's It's just it's retail. It's you know you got to put a new yellow sticker on the thing when it stops selling to get people's eyes drawn. Yeah, I, to guess, that I guess that's exactly what it is, isn't it? It is. It's it's a crass commercial business. I mean, it really is. <laughs> and that's why authors hate that part because the artistic side says no, no, no. It rebels. It rejects that. And yet, unfortunately, if you're going to be in the book selling business, you better get pretty good at selling books. Now, one of the ways that you sell books is, uh, I'll call it indirectly. I, I, you know, you do have a call at the bottom of almost every blog post that encourages people to buy your work. Um, yeah, I think a, it says buy my crap, but I, I don't <laughs> think I sell many. I don't. I, I don't think I sell many books based on on the blog, frankly. Okay, well, that that was actually my question because I don't see you on. Facebook and on Twitter with the buy my book stuff mm, that so many people worked. do. Um, you, you you basically post links to your blog and other things that are of interest to you. So I don't really see you anywhere out there saying buy my stuff other than at the end of the blog post. And you'll you'll do a post saying hey this book is out. Yeah, so what, because what do you do? What do you do for a book uh, boy, launch? Boy, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody knows how to how to market books. I, I, I that's the conclusion I've come to because I, I have yet to see anything cons- short of throwing a couple of million dollars behind it. That works. But yeah, no, tip, and even then it doesn't, you know, necessarily, but it improves your odds just by sheer virtue of the noise level you can create. But no, I, I don't think there's any magic bullet. I don't think there's any, you know, I, I think first of all it's genre specific. For instance, in new adult and in some romance, everyone's got a street team and they do giveaways right. and they do all of that stuff. Doesn't work in my genre. Doesn't work in, in, in thrillers, in action and adventure. And I think it's because the reader demographic is completely different. You know, I, I, so, so, so when, when people look, when they, when they hand out marketing advice, I always kind of look at it and go, hmm, boy. <sighs> It, it, wouldn't it be great if it was just that simple? But it, it isn't. Every genre has its own nuances. And I just one thing that that I absolutely detest as a reader is having desperate, flop, sweaty authors begging me to buy their book. So you know, when I see that in a Facebook. Um, or a, t- a Twitter feed, you know, with it, that all the, the author is communicating is this sort of thinly veiled sales pitch. I just mm-hmm. tune out. I don't care how good the book may be. I just tune out. And I think most people do that because they're so bombarded by advertising constantly in every single form, in every media. No matter what you do, you're going to see advertising that you've developed defenses for it. So I think anything that even slightly smacks of, uh, uh, of marketing and promotions loses a lot of people. That's my personal you know, observation, uh, having seen how people buy. So I think you just have to, uh, you know, uh, I, my, my philosophy is to try to be as interesting and relevant and timely as possible. And 
if I'm successful in capturing someone's attention by just being me, then maybe they'll be interested enough to buy one of my books to see if I'm interesting in the book. And, and that's, that's my entire marketing philosophy right there. It's, it, it's not much of a philosophy. <laughs> well, the, in, the interesting thing is I, I have spent time trying to figure out what gets people to buy your books. And I really yeah, can't, I can't <laughs> find anything other than the fact that I like the last one, so I'm going to buy the next one. Is that well, really that. it in a nutshell for you? Yeah, I think it is. And I also think people talk. I think they get excited when they find something that's different and that you know, speaks to them. And they get excited when they find something that isn't the same as, as the last 25 books they read. And when they get that, when they feel that sense of excitement, they then tell other people. They want to share it. It's like, oh my God, because I'm that way. Mm-hmm. When I read something, you know, when I read something that really sort of blows me away, I'm the first one to go out and talk about it on my blog or, you know, tell 20 people about it because I'm excited. It's like, wow, this is great. I do the same thing with restaurants. You know, if I go, you know, find a really, because I, you know, hey, I like to eat. I I do the same thing with wine. Um, You know, everyone likes discovering something that's better. And when they do, I think they, they like to tell other people. We're social animals. So, of course, we want to tell other people about our discovery. I think that's how most people find my work. And then when there's a series like Jet, it was really easy for me. With, with zero sum, I think I told one person about the book because yeah. you're right. When you made the comment, oh, you're the one that likes reading financial thrillers, I sometimes do feel like I am the one. Well, and I thought that was going to be wildly successful because I'm fascinated with markets and with the financial markets and economics and all of that. And, you know, it's a snooze fest. People, you can't get, nobody wants to, nobody <laughs> likes it. So, okay. <laughs> but with Jet, it's, it's, a, it's just pure adrenaline. So you read it and then you can quickly go tell 10 people that you know are going to like the book. Absolutely. And uh, the other series are, are the same because that's the kind of thing that you write, high adrenaline thrillers. Yeah, because I, 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 you know, I, that's what I like to – I don't have a lot of time to read, and I haven't watched TV in probably, well, since I moved down here. But I remember, I remember getting some DVD sets of the TV show 24 back when it was first coming out, and I remember going, wow, this is just insanely paced. It's, you know, you've got an action beat literally every five minutes, six minutes. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could write books like that? So that was sort of my ideal, was, and also the Tarantino films, Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, when I f- yeah. first thought of Jet, I just, you know, I, I was like, you know, Kill Bill. That's what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very, you know, there's no rocket science to it. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that that found an audience and that I was able to execute um, competently. I guess that's the key, because it would have been wonderful if I had thought, oh, Kill Bill, and then I had written 450 pages of the deciduous trees, blue in the wind, well, you know, I mean, just went on and on. I'm able to, 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 to cut straight to the chase with the action beats and, you know, make for a compelling story. So, thank God. So far, so good. All right. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to ask some of the obligatory Russell Blake interview questions. Um, and I apologize in advance for these. <laughs> extradition? Why, why, no, why? no, none of, okay. none of this. Right. It's the how do you do it stuff. You, you obviously are doing multiple things at one time. You're writing, you're, you're writing the book you're working on now. You're editing the book that you finished two weeks ago. Uh, you're sending things off to proofers. You're looking at cover designers. How do you manage all of this? Well, the booze and the dope really helps. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> Kids, if you're listening, I recommend don't, don't let anyone tell you that doesn't work because boy, does, no. Seriously, I, I just, I multitask. I mean, from running businesses, you know, you have to learn to multitask. And I just have, you know, portions of the day that I allocate to what I think of as production um, issues. And then, you know, and, and outlining a next novel, that's a production issue. Um, going through cover ideas, that's a production issue. Um, dealing with editing, that's production, quality control. And then, but I jealously guard the, the hours that I allocate to content creation, which is a writing portion. So I segment them. 
Now, what what portion of your day is content creation now? Because I know at one time it was pretty large. Yeah, it was like 75, 25. I think I'm probably more like 85, 15 now. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I spend so much time writing, um, which, you know, thank God. I, because here's, here's the dirty little secret about writing. Um, the more you do it, Typically speaking, the better you get at it. I mean, you know, up to a certain level of competence. Let, where, me, wait, you know. let me write this down. Hang on for just a second. <laughs> you can make T-shirts, but I want a piece. Uh, you know, my, my people will talk to yours. You know, people would pay thousands of dollars to get the value that comes from advice like that, but they oh. wouldn't actually sit down in the chair and do it. Well, but that's if it were easy, everyone would do it. I mean, you know, that's the obvious. It's like everybody wants to be, uh, you know, Mick Jagger or, or whoever. But, you know, every guy that can sing four notes looks at a guy like Jagger and goes, hey, the guy's got a four-note range. He's a little outrageous. I can be him, too. And it's like, well, n- not necessarily. No, no, sweetie, you can't. <laughs> it takes a lot of work and a lot of luck and a lot of application. And you know, most of the people I know who have been successful at anything, you know, any type of business or this or in the arts or anything, they pretty much spend their entire lives doing that. That's what they do. And it's it's it, you know it's a sacrifice. It it requires single-minded application. It um, it's you know some would argue it's not much of a life because it's not particularly balanced. But you know if you look at the habits of very very successful people in any endeavor, they tend to be laser focused on what it is they're they're being successful at. So I I looked at that and kind of went, I think that's what it's going to take. And another habit that those people have, and, and you obviously have it as, as well, is finding the people to help you with the things that you don't need to be laser-focused on. Absolutely. You have to delegate. So how, how did you initially put together your team to allow you to produce a book a month, basically? Try, trial and error. I mean, really, it was. I was got very lucky with an editor. Uh, I want to say after the second or third book, um, a, a British guy who was just enormously talented um, writer and editor, and he, I want to say, he did the first eighteen books. Something I burned him out. I he, guess. he never wants to look at anything ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, um, and I did the same thing with with cover artists. Yeah, I went through I don't know two, three, four different cover artists. Tried them, you know, bounce them around. Even now, I still use different cover artists depending on what look I'm trying to find. So the answer is trial and error. Same proofreaders. I've been through hmm, maybe five, six. Because you'll get a proofreader, and oftentimes they'll be very good for the first couple of books, and then they, you know, it starts falling apart because they get more successful, they get busier, and then suddenly they aren't. You know, everyone's trying to figure out how to do more work, how to get more productivity through their their pipeline mm-hmm. um, in less time. And that never works really well <laughs> because there's a quality control issue that there's just this natural point where if you try to cram a, a 10-pound chicken into the 5-pound bag, the bag <laughs> breaks. And that, that, that happens with proofreaders. It's the most obvious when it happens with proofreaders because you get a manuscript back and you start finding just error after error. It's like, wait a minute, didn't I just pay you so I, I didn't have to do this? So it, it becomes an issue. Um, I've got a very good team right now. I've got two different editors that have strength in different areas, and I have a very good proofreader. And I have one, two, three different cover artists who are, are all very talented, depending on the series and depending on the, the type of book that um, I'm trying to put together. It, it, you know, and I ask best-selling authors that I talk to all the time constantly, who do you use? What do you think of them? How's it working? Mm-hmm. You know, because everyone's trying to, to, to peel the same apple. They're all trying to solve the same problem. How, how can you get more content created at a higher quality level in a shorter period of time? Because that's the game. Now, has, has your cost to do all of this on a per-book level increased, decreased, stayed the same? No, it's about the same. It's Is actually it? maybe decreased a little bit. 
seems like there's probably more competition out there now than there would have been three and a half yeah, years ago. Yeah, but then that, it, but it probably, but I, you know, I, I haven't really gone looking because if I have to go looking now, I'm not writing. Now I'm evaluating new con. Now I'm, you know, new vendors, and if I make a mistake, now I've got to do the work twice. So. So once you find a good team, you know, pay them reasonably mm-hmm. and be nice to them, and you know, thank God that you have that team. So, so that's my my philosophy is 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 you know, once you have a team that that works well, maybe they're not perfect, you know, nobody's perfect, but once you have somebody that 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 can competently execute what you need them to execute on, keep using them until you know the wheels come off. <laughs> That's, that's my <laughs> and you've driven people into the ditch before I'm oh, sure. Oh yeah, no. I yeah. I've, there's there's more alcoholic editors now and proofreaders <laughs> out there. <laughs> All right. Now we we've talked about your laser focus on content creation with content being your books, the things that you're putting up there for sale, actual that's, products. Yeah, that's how I refer to being an author. Okay. Now you also do a lot of blogging, which is separate from all of this you're still creating content yeah, that's when i'm procrastinating uh, okay all right so that's we define that as as not doing any business related thing it's just kind of you're spitballing and and you want to put it down and maybe someone will read it yeah just just ha- basically having fun i enjoy writing so so you know i mean it's what i do so so uh, you know and at this point it's pretty much all i do so yeah when i blog it's just you know i get an idea and i go oh she you know i, I uh, i'm again procrastinating i'm not in the middle of a book or it's like a palate cleanser it's like sorbet in between you know a couple of courses it's like oh i'll go write something completely different now you you've said you said earlier in the interview that you don't think your blog sells a lot of books. Do you actually know nah. that for a fact, or do you track it? Do you have different links that no, you use? No, I your haven't. Blog? I haven't done any. I should probably do all of that. I don't do any of it because really you're busy don't. writing. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if it's working, it's working, and if it's not. It's it's not so. Well, whatever I'm doing is working. So I, you know, in a, in a way, I'm like the superstitious, you know, ball player that's got the glove that he's had for 18 years. And you know, he's, it's it's if it's working, don't screw with it. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I, you know, I would that I I had the the willingness and the discipline to sit down and do all of these sort of meta analyses of of what I'm doing, so I could. Be, I'd probably sell more books, but you know, it's not really the skill set that I have. And frankly, I'm selling enough books, so. You know, maybe capturing an additional five percent. Yeah, but I already know I don't like any of that. I'm not interested in any of it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'd have to go out and hire somebody that actually knows how to do all that. And then I'd have to, you know, I, I'd have to 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 listen to what they tell me and make decisions. So, nah, it's just easier to do what. From my standpoint, it's easier to just. Focus on content creation, spend a minimal amount of time on the promotion side, and spend the rest of the time on the quality control. Okay. Now, this, this brings me to the next topic. You, you're, you're obviously a guy who likes to be in control of what he's in control of. Yes. Um, which, in your case, is the writing. Uh, how much thought did you have to give to the partnership idea with, uh, with Clive Kussner, Kussler? Well, I, you know, you mean besides prayer that it Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's a huge, huge win to even be considered for something like that. But yeah. it, it's got to take you out of your, I, don't, I won't call it comfort zone, but your, your day-to-day normal work habits. Sure, it, it does. But I mean, that's how you grow, too. I mean, I, you know, I was looking at it as a growth opportunity. I, mean, I get to work with a legend. I get mm-hmm. to pick, you know, pick his brain and get all the tips and learn um, how he perceives the world and perceives you know, writing a, a crackling good action-adventure book. And he sold, I want to say, a hundred and something million of them, so he's pretty good at it. Um, and I get to benefit from that brain trust. So, you know... That's a massive win from my standpoint. In what ways has, has that benefited you as a writer? It's changed the way I view the flow of the action beats, for one thing. It, it, it's just changed my perception of, of 
how much description I want to put in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's changed the way I, I've, I finish my chapters and think of my chapters. It's made me much more mission focused on, on, you know, why is this here? In other words, if you look at, you know, at a very, at a very granular level, if you look at it as, you know, every word should be, why is this word here? If it's not doing a job, if it's not serving a function, it shouldn't be there. Get rid of it. Well, you know, if you then go up a level and now you're at the sentence level and you're doing that and then you're at the, the paragraph level and then you're at the chapter level. So I'm sort, of, I'm sort of thinking algorithmically like that now, which I never used to think of before. And it's just been a natural function of 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 working w- with Clive. And by the way, he probably would never say any use these words or say, but that I think that's what he does. He perceives things in terms of you know why the hell is this here? What what job is it doing? And if if the job is not something critical, get rid of it. You wrote a post on your blog. I we're recording this on January thirteenth. And I think it was yesterday you wrote the Being Nora Roberts post? Yeah, I don't know. I've actually I actually wrote like I actually wrote four blogs that day okay. and that's the one I published. So. <laughs> No, and people say, you know, what are you talking about? You wrote all these blogs. And it's like, look, you know, my favorite, you know, I look back at how authors, my, my the favorite authors in history came mm-hmm. about. And you look at guys like Mark Twain, you look at, uh, you, you look at any of, of the great, and they, they mostly, I mean, they all came out of the journalism school. And the, the reason that they came out of journalism is because as a journalist, you wrote a lot. You wrote constantly. Mm-hmm. So you, you got pretty good at it. You got a lot of practice. So I believe, you know, I, I believe there's no such thing as wasted writing. So if I write four blogs, only publish one, all right. It's good practice. All right. Well, I'm going to pluck something out of this blog post that you may not even remember. Uh-oh. <laughs> but, and then ask you a question. Oh, boy. But okay. basically, in the post, you, you say that an author's only shot at high levels, Nora Roberts-type success, is to become extremely good at creating content that your audience feels it can't get anywhere else but from you, and then communicating to the audience that you've got it. You need to be immediately clear on your value proposition. And that's the line that really stuck out from the entire blog post for me was that last one. You need to be immediately clear on your value proposition. Uh, sure. A marketing guru might call that uh, your unique selling proposition. Uh, sure. You seem to have a fairly well-defined unique selling proposition. How would you define it, and when did you realize that you had one? Well, I think it's it's evolved, but you know, I think there's the the brand as a Russell Blake brand has a value proposition, and then the types of books that Russell Blake writes has its separate um, value proposition. But the concept of the value proposition, I kind of got from some of my buddies who writes, you know, they write spec screenplays, mm-hmm. you know, and they they go in Hollywood and they have they have to make a pitch, and they get one sentence. I mean, you know, the pitches, if you, you know, if you can't summarize what that story is in one sentence, you're probably, you know, the guy behind the desk is going to doze off. He's looking at something else. <laughs> you know, something caught his attention and he's no longer paying attention. Mm-hmm. So I think my value proposition, my pitch, if you will, for Russell Blake, the brand, is that I, I write fast-paced thrillers that are written at a fairly sophisticated level. In other words, the level of the prose doesn't assume that the reader is an idiot. So that would be my value proposition as an author. The actual books vary. The value proposition of the Jet books vary from the value proposition of something like Zero Sum or like Silver Justice or even the Assassin series. So what I meant when I wrote that in the blog was that, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when somebody says, what does Russell Blake do? They shouldn't think – they should think action-adventure thriller author. That's what they should think. They shouldn't think, you know, artistic free spirit. They shouldn't think nonfiction. They should think – the reader has a very short attention span, and they're probably going to, you know, they're probably going to land on your page or see your cover or whatever, what, half a second? 
So if there's any doubt whatsoever in their mind what the hell it is that you do, they go to somebody where the, the, that doubt doesn't exist. They, because I believe people, when they're shopping for for entertainment, it's like it's kind of like when I go to a restaurant. I go to restaurants for specific dishes that they do really well, and I'm just a creature of habit. Mm-hmm. When I want a really good steak, I go to the really good steak restaurant. When I want good Chinese food, I go to the really good Chinese restaurant. And I've never tried a steak at the Chinese. It could be the best steak in the world. I don't know because that's not why I go there. I believe that most people tend to group things that way. They have, you know, so, so you know, who are you the author? If you can't answer that and just, a, you know, bam, 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 just if, if it's not immediately obvious who you are to the reader, you've just introduce thinking time now they have to figure out who you are well life's short time's precious you didn't do that job for them and they're not going to do it for you so like that boy that's a long way of saying what's your value proposition well uh, but that's exactly what i was looking for but did you have that from the start did you know before you published your first book no, I didn't. Okay. All right. So this no, is something that, that you've time. developed over time. Okay. All right. No, after watching what works. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I wish somebody had sat down with me and just told me that. I wish somebody right up front had said, look, dude, you, you better get real clear on what, it, what the hell it is you're doing because, you know, the readers, their eyes are going to glaze over. If, if you aren't immediately their go-to choice for that genre or that thing, uh, you missed the vote. And it took me about about seven or eight months to, to come to the conclusion that that's how people are, you know, for the most part. And it's a generalization. I'll probably get, you know, a lot of angry emails saying, no, it's not like that at all. Or there's exceptions to that rule. Well, yeah, okay, sure. But mostly I've noticed that people tend to group things hierarchically and within groups and little algorithms. And, and they think algorithmically. So when they want a really good nonfiction author who can captivate them on unusual spins, on on commonplace tropes, <laughs> maybe they go to someone like uh, Gladwell, mm-hmm. or used to be David Foster Wallace. Okay, great. So if you want action adventure thrillers that move like a freight train, I want them thinking Russell Blake. I don't, want him, I, I don't want him looking at me going, boy, is he the romance author? Is, he, is this next one going to be you know, an unexpected departure? No, I, I want it very simple to come in and buy my burger. It's like, that's the burger place. I want a burger. They make good burgers. I will go there to buy the burger. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. And, th- and this harkens back to the beginning of our, our discussion, the idea of separating the craft of writing from selling the written product. You know, it, it is a burger or a widget or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's a, a product. product. It's a product. It's a product. Well, Russell, this has been absolutely fabulous. I've been looking forward to this uh, for a year, and uh, I, I can't thank you out. enough for your time. I appreciate it. I I hope those answers don't get you a lot of hate mail because I know that a lot of authors don't like thinking of their art as a product. But talk to anybody in traditional publishing, and that's what it is. The best way to follow your work is at your website, russellblake.com. You're also on Facebook, Twitter, God knows where else, and uh, if, if you're not following Russell's blog, you should be, and you will be encouraged to buy his crap at the end of almost every post. Yes, and <laughs> at the end of every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Russell. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Author Biz Podcast at www.theauthorbiz.com. If you'd like to find out more about the show or anything we mentioned, just check out the website. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions, please leave them at the site, or you can email me at authorbiz at gmail.com. Please join us again next week for another informative episode.